and warm welcome everyone to episode 36 of Sustainability Explored, the last episode of season 3, but don't worry, season 4 is coming up. This is a podcast where we discover and explore different shapes, shades and colors of sustainability in business and economy. It's a weekly show and I release new episodes on Thursdays. Today we're talking about bedsheets, and not just some bedsheets, but those made of environmentally friendly materials like lyocell. This is an eucalyptus derivative, if I may call it this way. And a bedsheet that is made in a very environmentally and socially conscious way. And I am talking about... Sheets and Giggles. Visit their website, that's simply sheetsgiggles.com, for your daily dose of humor. So in June 2018, Sheets and Giggles became the number one all-time crowdfunded bad sheets on Indiegogo. In September, they won first place at Denver Startup Week, and from October to December, they shipped thousands of orders to five-star reviews. In 2019, they began the year by participating in Techstars Boulder as one of 10 companies selected for that year's highly selective class. In July the same year, so last year, 2019, Sheets and Giggles were featured as Amazon's deal of the day, earning time on Amazon.com homepage because of their performance on the Amazon channel. Here is what Colin McIntosh, founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles, says. As an awesome benefit to our sheets' exceptionally high quality, Sheets and Giggles bedding is sustainable, using up to 95% less water than cotton, 30% less energy, and indefinite amount of percent less pesticides, so we don't use any. You can sleep better and save the world. No shit. I don't want to keep you guys waiting too long. Uh, all the juice is really inside. Let's jump straight into the interview with Colin. We have a super interesting, insightful, funny, and inspiring interview ahead. Join in. Hi, Colin. Thanks for joining me on the show. It's very nice to have you. I have not yet uh, done an episode on bad in industry. And it's funny, I spent the last like, half an hour before our interview practicing the name of your company. Sheets and giggles, yeah, yeah. It's a tricky one for non-native speakers. Do you know the idiom shits and giggles by any chance? It's an English idiom. I think it's originated in England. And so Canada, the US, Australia, we all say it. And it basically means for no reason or just for fun. So if you say, why'd you do something? And somebody says, just for shits and giggles, they mean just for fun, just because no reason. I wanted yeah. to ask you where the name of the company comes from, and it's very you know, snappy. Exactly. The company itself, Sheets and Giggles, you know, and I call it S&G for short, if that's easier for you, just S&G. I, I can't say it without laughing. I tend to abbreviate it. Basically, thinking of it was that the entire bedding industry, bed sheets, was very boring, like a super boring space. And so we really wanted to do something very different, very unique. And the name just was so important and like why I started the company because the brand was so in my head I could see it I could see everything in my head and so it's it's a really fun company in a very boring space and and I think that that's part of our appeal 
Tell me more about how you started. What motivated you? What was the, you know, the event that changed your life? Oh God, I was looking back on my career the other day. It's hard to pinpoint the exact reason why I started the company. I've worked at, you know, the world's largest hedge fund in Connecticut with like $200 billion under management. I've worked at a small startups. I've worked as a recruiter, recruiting people for other companies. And basically about three years ago, I was working at wearable technology startup. If you're familiar with Fitbit, it wasn't Fitbit, but it was similar to that in concept where it tracked your steps, it found your keys. It was like this big, you know, the size of your thumb maybe. But if you pressed it, it would send out an emergency alert and live location data to your friends and family to let them know where you were and that you needed help. That was a very mission-driven company that I helped found with my friends. We started it in uh, 2015 and we worked on it for two or, two or three years. We raised three and a half million dollars. We hired 30 people in downtown Denver, which is where we're based. And unfortunately, that company just didn't work out. Even though we had product on the shelves in hundreds of stores around the United States, we were on television. We were, you know, really good press. We were well-funded unfortunately it just didn't work out and that's the kind of the nature of startup companies and so in september 2017 we all got fired laid off at 1 p.m. on a monday afternoon and i think that that was probably the final i think you need like a breaking point to start your own company like you need this really motivating factor that puts a chip on your shoulder or that just makes you lose your mind a little bit to be completely honest I slept in for a couple of weeks I cleared my head I worked out every day I couldn't stop thinking about this idea that I had for a bed sheets company which is the weirdest thing but I had bought the the website sheetsgiggles.com like four months before this because I was thinking about it and I was thinking like everybody sells cotton everybody sells polyester there's no differentiation in this industry. It's a huge industry. It's a really boring space. I like being funny so I could, you know, I could branch out uh, and with a brand, different brand voice and a different product. I'm, I'm a big mission-driven person. My last company was trying to fight violence and medical emergencies by having this emergency button. And then this company is a sustainability mission. So I'm really passionate about sustainability and climate change. I'm going to be dealing with this for probably the next 40 or 50 years of my life. It was really important for me to do something with a mission orientation. I think three weeks after I got laid off, I founded uh, SNG, and so it'll be three years this October. So I'm really, I'm really excited about that. A very unusual way to start a bedding company. Yes, I must say, <laughs> you mentioned sustainability. Mm -hmm. The bed sheets that you are producing are made of an unusual material. Eucalyptus lyocell, right? How Correct. did you choose this material? What were you choosing from? I, I originally started the company with the idea to do bamboo uh, viscose for the bed sheets because I was reading about it and I was meeting with different experts on it. And unfortunately, what I discovered is that bamboo viscose, unless it's made very, very, very responsibly, it has a lot of runoff associated with it. It's a very similar process to eucalyptus lyocell. Bamboo viscose is the first generation of the what's called cellulosic rayon production process. So that means, you know, rayon, cellulose, fabric made from plants. And then modal is the second version of it. Yeah, it's usually made from a mix of woods, beech wood, spruce, pine. 
And then eucalyptus lyle cell is the third generation of this uh, process. And eucalyptus is usually the base wood used for it. And basically, the major difference that I learned about two and a half years ago is that you can reuse the solvents in every single batch. So with eucalyptus lyle cell, you're doing wood in, uh, pulp out, wood in, pulp out, very, and you end up getting uh, fiber with almost no runoff whatsoever. So you can reuse almost 100% of the chemicals in every batch. Whereas with bamboo viscose, they unfortunately can't reuse the chemicals so there's a lot of runoff associated with the process unless those solvents are captured appropriately, which a lot of times they're not. So it is a closed loop process whereby the ingredients in every batch are reused. And then in terms of uh, other things like water usage, insecticide usage, energy usage, compared to cotton sheets, eucalyptus lyle cell uses about 96% less water, which is about 4,000 liters saved per uh, bed sheet set compared to cotton sheets. And then in terms of energy, it's about 30% less. And then in terms of insecticides and pesticides, it's much, much less. Uh, cotton by itself as a crop uses about 15 to 20% of the world's insecticides just by itself as a crop. And it only uses about 2.5% of the world's arable land, which is a, a sizable chunk of the world's arable land, but it has a huge ratio of insecticide usage versus other crops. Bugs love cotton. And so basically eucalyptus uses no pesticides, no insecticides, naturally insecticide. When you put it all together, you have this really amazing product. It's extremely soft. It's extremely cooling. Uh, it manages moisture really, really well. So if you sweat at night, it'll actually evenly distribute the moisture across the fabric and it will evaporate it uh, before you ever wake up in any moisture. And then it's also considered widely one of the most sustainable fabrics in the world um, alongside hemp and a few other fabrics, but it's extremely suitable for bed sheets. It's very, very soft. It's very, very smooth. And we just get rave reviews from people. I think we have over 2,500 reviews now. Uh, I think 2,000 on our website and 500 on Amazon. And we've been very, very happy so far with the reception to the products. Uh, we've now been shipping for, I think, 19 months now we've been shipping products. So we'll be hitting year two in a little bit now. I checked the website and most of the reviews say uh, it's the softest fabric. It's very yeah. soft. It's cosmically soft. And I'm like, <laughs> what is going on there? <laughs> it's interesting because I hadn't heard of this fabric three years ago. I couldn't have told you about it. And I've just completely fallen in love with it. I've uh, met with so many people and we've got a great product team now and a great production team. We basically have become experts in this very quickly over the last couple of years. And I'll tell you what, that first batch of production, we had like 30% fabric reductions in that first batch. It was really, really bad. Since then, we've gotten that number way down. Everything improves. Every single batch of production, our fiber selection improves, our sewing processes, even just the knowledge of people on the ground improves in terms of quality assurance and spotting errors. It's been a really interesting last few years. And the reception from customers, like you said, has been just really overwhelming. And, and we don't really lead with the sustainability, which is interesting. A lot of companies that are sustainable companies, they'll lead with the sustainability as like, this is our number one factor. Like you should buy this because it's a sustainable option. And we actually don't really lead with that. We kind of talk about that at the end of the process where we tell people about the, the earth benefit, the benefits for the environment. Because I think that when it comes to bedding and bed sheets in this category, 
I think the people are generally fairly selfish, uh, especially in the United States. You know, I'm a proud American, but we are like pretty selfish consumers. Uh, <laughs> we just, we want what we think is the best. If you tell somebody, I think that this is the more sustainable option, they're going to kind of question it as like, oh, is it not as good as cotton? Is it not as good as polyester? And we don't want them to have those questions. So we lead with, this is the softest thing you'll ever, literally has a lower coefficient of friction than cotton sheets. It's more breathable than polyester. It's more breathable than cotton. Zero static electricity, hypoallergenic if you have allergies. And then we have these reviews from people with fibromyalgia, with eczema, with multiple sclerosis, with ALS, with neuropathy. We have reviews from people with all sorts of conditions and, and chronic pain and nerve pain ailments. And they leave us these reviews that make me honestly tear up a little bit because I, I have a herniated C4, C5 disc. And so occasionally still, but back in the day, I used to wake up from neck pain in the middle of the night all the time. I don't know if you suffer from chronic pain or not, but if anybody out there is listening who has chronic pain that wakes them up in the middle of the night, it is one of the worst feelings because you were pain, you were sleeping, you were pain free for a moment in time, you were sleeping. And then all of a sudden you're awake again and in pain because your pain woke you up. And that's the worst. It's almost indescribable what that's like. And so we have people who tell us like these sheets are the only thing with my skin condition or my pain condition that allow me to sleep through the night. And it's just life changing for some people. And that's something that I honestly never never truly expected. When I was starting the company, I was expecting to have some fun, do some good, help people sleep better, you know, save some water, save some energy. We plant a tree for every order. So I expected a lot of stuff like that, but I didn't expect the, that really personal human effect. Yeah. That's an interesting angle. You, you said when people hear my bad sheets are sustainable and they think it's less good than ordinary options like cotton and so on. My understanding and how, like, say, I would react to a more sustainable option, I would immediately think it's more expensive. It is more expensive, yeah. It costs about three times what cotton costs to produce and it costs about 10 times what polyester costs to produce. So it is more expensive to make everything from the raw materials to production processes and making sure that we have no runoff, making sure that we're capturing all wastewater and reusing that. There's a lot of expenses that go with making this product. It's a highly scientific process. I think the thing that I've really clued in on with Americans is that we had, we went through this phase in the 90s where like people started talking about sustainability and green products. And I think that maybe people that are older than 30 or 40 kind of have this perception, and I'm one of them, who, you know, if they hear that something is sustainable or better for the earth, they just think that it's maybe not going to last as long or it's going to be not as good. We had these products early on that were like green products that were shoes and toothpaste and like plastic-free packaging that fell apart and all sorts of different things. And now that's not the case. I think now people are starting to understand that actually sustainable products can be some of the best, most premium things you'll ever buy. The sustainability messaging to me is good, but it's not sufficient to really capture that user's or that customer's attention. They need to think that it's better than what they already have on their bed if they're going to make that investment. And truthfully, it is better. These are the best sheets, and I'm not just blowing smoke. They're the best sheets that you'll ever buy, and we try to get that across in the marketing. And, and, and then people tell us, they leave reviews. If you read some of them, they say, I think this company undersold their sheets. They didn't do a good enough job explaining 
how good they actually are. And those are the best reviews. Those are the ones where I go to my marketing team and I'm like, we should step it up. And they're like, no, 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 we're, we're good. We're doing good. Don't worry. I feel like when I am investing into something that is three to five times more expensive, I expect it to be durable and serve me a long time. Let, let's take a slightly an angle of bed and industry. Is it in any way similar to fast fashion industry? Do you have any like estimation, any idea of how often people dispose of their bed sheets and are they more inclined to buy more of this product? Yeah, according to uh, some surveys, about 30% of Americans buy new bed sheets every year, 30 to 40%. The average American has a two or three bedroom house. Maybe they buy one set of sheets for one bed and then get the old set onto the other bed or whatever it is. So uh, it's about 30 to 40% of people buy new bed sheets every single year. It's certainly not like fast fashion where there are like fads and trends and things that you need to very quickly get for your home. Otherwise, you're not following the, the latest trend or whatever it is. I do think there's a little bit of similarity just in terms of waste and the amount. Textiles by itself, the industry is, I think, the second most polluting industry next to oil and gas in the world. And most of that is from fast fashion. But home textiles, when it comes to bedding and towels and other items that you find in your home, um, those are also big polluters too. They're big uh, methods of waste. So a single cotton t-shirt can use 2,500 liters of water. A single cotton bed sheet can use 4,000 liters of water to make. The amount of water that's used, I think, is probably one of the biggest things that people don't realize about the textile industry, especially when it comes to cotton. And then when it comes to polyester, you know, you're talking about the number one source of microplastics in the ocean, and it's just all petroleum-based. I think, and that's one of the struggles with me running an American-based company. I don't know if it's unique to America or not, but I would say that probably at least 50 to 70% of people, I'm not, not even joking, I would say at least half of Americans that I engage with don't know that polyester is made from petroleum or that it's a microplastic. They don't know that it's oil-based. And it's because it's been marketed very well as, you know, microfiber or when it comes to like a comforter or something like that, they'll say it's a down alternative. They'll call it like cruelty free filling, which means like no geese were killed to make this pillow or whatever, but it's full plastic, but they don't, they don't say this. So let's say they call it an alternative. So the marketing is really, really stellar around uh, some of these more unsustainable products in the space. So in, in that regard, there are similarities, but not in terms of the frequency of uses or purchase, but the amount and the volume of the yardage when it comes to bed sheets and duvets and pillows. It, it is a, a, a large volume every year that a, a certain amount of people are purchasing. When we are talking about sustainability, it's smart to look at the full life cycle here including also the supply chain where mm -hmm. is the raw material coming from for sheets and giggles where is it produced where the actual product is produced the product's produced in india and we were planning to open up a new factory in the united states by the end of this year but with everything going on with covid 19 those plans are a little jeopardized we produce everything in india we have a really fantastic manufacturing team over there we've won awards for our ethics and manufacturing and folks on the ground out there that are uh, part of the S&G team out there. And we've got a lot of stuff on our website. If anybody wants to go to our blog, we've got uh, tons of videos and, and pictures and resources on our manufacturing process. 
And then in terms of the raw materials, we source our trees from uh, biodiverse farms that are located in India, Canada, Sweden, and South Africa. We do these on rotation. We're not you know, relying on any one location too heavily. Um, those trees are all on biodiverse farms. They're generally on non-arable land, so they're not on farmland that could be used for other crops. They're, um, that's the, one of the beauties of eucalyptus is that it can grow on pretty much any soil at all. And we don't harvest any trees from any forest or natural environments. All the farms are managed in coordination with an NGO that makes sure that things are as good as they can be in order to protect the surrounding environments and surrounding people. And it's a really incredible supply chain from top to bottom, from seed to sale. Basically, we plant two new trees for every tree that we harvest. Something else that you can do with eucalyptus and with other trees, you can branch them instead of harvesting the entire tree. It's a completely renewable system, and eucalyptus trees come to maturity in, I think, seven to ten years, generally speaking. And so it's a very quick uh, maturity process as well for, for planting new trees, which is why we plant two new ones for every one that we harvest, is so we can invest in the future as well. And we've been doing this for a few years now. It's a pretty great closed loop system. One of the things that I'm, I'm really working on is now that we're entering year three of the business and as we move into years four, five, and six, and you see this now with some companies that are doing this as they get more cash resources and as they become bigger companies, is working to offset uh, the carbon footprint of transport. And so that's something that I'm really focused on moving into years uh, three, four, and five how are we going to offset our carbon footprint of transport, whether that's transporting from India to the United States, transporting our raw materials, or sending our sheets from our warehouses in California and Florida across the, the country. That's going to be a really big priority for us. We had to get off the ground in the last couple of years, and now I'm really excited to build a truly uh, carbon neutral company, hopefully within the next couple of years. That's a big challenge. Big love, challenge. Love talking to people who choose to work on real challenges, not fake challenges. Supply chain um, disrupted uh, given the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, completely. India completely shut down on March 24th. I mean, luckily, we saw this coming a little bit sooner than I think some other folks, uh, at least in the U.S. government. And we basically got inventory stateside as quickly as possible because we just knew that it was eventually going to affect India and all of Asia. And so India shut down on March 24th. Uh, our entire team uh, over there is on paid leave. No one's producing anything. No one's in the factories. No one's working. Everybody over there is happy and healthy. I'm on the phone with them pretty much every night. And the country should be reopening in the next couple of weeks. They've been taking a lot of precautions. Very proud of our factory. They produced many millions of masks as well to help with everything. But yeah, it's been extremely disruptive. I mean, everything from India closing down to shipping delays within, within the United States to financing tightening up for inventory financing and other things like that. It's definitely been extremely disruptive to the business and to the supply chain, but hopefully it's more of a temporary thing. And one of the things that we did immediately was the city of Denver uh, called us about four or five weeks ago and they said, hey, look, we're going to get a big influx of people that are symptomatic, the homeless shelters, and we can't have them spreading uh, the virus to other people uh, that are staying there overnight. Denver's got a big homeless population. So basically, they said, we're building 300, they're calling like motels, where they're isolated units for people to stay overnight if they're symptomatic, so that way they don't spread the disease to other people in these shelters. 
And they said, we're asking around who sells bedsheets in Denver, who's a bedsheet company number. And they said, Sheets and Giggles keeps coming up. And so can you donate uh, sheet sets to our shelters? And so we, we ended up giving all of our twin and twin XL inventory, which are the smaller sizes because of the beds that they had outfitted for the shelters. Um, I think it was 228 units that we had on hand. And we just gave them all to the city of Denver. And right now we have, I think, two or 300 people every night that are symptomatic that are staying in those motels on our bed sheets. And so that makes me feel really good, but we're also out of Gwen Excel <laughs> on the website. But luckily it only accounts for, you know, 2% of our sale, one or 2% of our sales, but it's still uh, a lot of inventory that we, <laughs> we just gave <laughs> to the city of Denver. But you know, like when called upon in, in moments like this, you know, you gotta That's respond, nice. you gotta respond, yeah. So not only your company is environmentally friendly, it's also socially responsible. I mean, there's no point to it if we're not. Basically, one of the things that I, I did from day one is I built in this mechanism for the company where like by doing business and by growing, we're doing uh, good socially. So for every single order that we receive, we plant a tree. So we've now planted... I think close to 30,000 trees. On top of that, we've pledged 1% of our time, products, and equity to Colorado charities. We give a lot of money and products and time to local Colorado charities. And then on top of that, one of the things that we did recently was we actually, I think, so two things. Last year, we donated 20% of our Black Friday sales to uh, the World Wildlife Fund to help with the wildfires in Australia for, to help with koala recovery efforts. And we donated $17,000 to that. And then with this year, for 30 days between March 19th and April 17th, uh, we donated 20% of all our revenue to uh, COVID-19 emergency relief. And we ended up donating $40,000 to a COVID-19 relief. So we, we do a lot of stuff. We, you know, we've given away dozens of sheet sets to doctors and nurses and healthcare workers. I started the company to, to have fun, do good and help other people. And, and if we're not doing that, then there's really no point to the company. So yeah, it's baked into uh, how we operate. I totally share this view. How did the sales change with the COVID-19 and quarantine? From my example, I started to, to comfort my own house and, you know, flowers every week, another lamp, more like generating coziness. Is it the same with that? Um, for some people, yes. Uh, for some people, no. You know, America has been hit pretty hard by this. Most of our sales are, are from the U.S., America's been hit pretty hard by this. We had, you know, 20, 30 million people lose their jobs. We've been trying our best to help folks out in different ways, you know, put job. We're a betting company, so it's a little weird, but we've put, you know, job resources on our website, resume, writing, help and resources on our website just for for helping people because I used to be a recruiter, so I can talk to that a little bit. I think in March we saw a 30% reduction in sales, and so that was difficult. That was definitely a challenging month. And then in April, we've seen a nice rebound because I think that some people are investing more in what they're doing at home. And then I think that there's also a, you know, we're doing Mother's Day is on May 10th. So people are giving sheets for gifts for their mom. So I think it's been a really nice rebound in the month of April. But for, you know, four, three or four weeks there, it was a 30% drop in sales. And, you know, the unfortunate thing about this is that America, a lot of states are starting to reopen. 
which is, you know, I think necessary in some ways to help people out that are suffering. But at the same time, I am a little worried about a second sort of outbreak. And so the longer this goes on and the more uncertainty that we have uh, with, you know, is this going to be a three-month thing, a six-month thing, a 12-month thing, a 24-month thing, that's where the threats to the business become a little bit more systemic. And I'm hopeful that this is uh, at least controlled as the second outbreak will surely be coming down the line. Do you think the bedding industry will somehow change for and turn into a more sustainable one in the future? Yeah, I think it has to. Just as people that are younger grow up, you know, the millennial generation, which is my generation, or Gen Z is now moving into their 20s. Um, those generations, are, as they get more and more power, and as they get more and more responsibility and more and more income, I don't think that they're going to be buying unsustainable products. I just don't think that it's something that people will be, I mean, on some level they will, but at the end of the day, it's not about a handful of people living perfectly, right? It's not about everybody composting or everybody recycling every piece of plastic or nobody using single use plastics or nobody ever buying polyester or anything like that. There are some things that need to systemically change, of course, but I think at the end of the day, it's about, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of people who are all living imperfectly, but who take steps to reduce the amount of polyester they buy or the amount of plastics that they buy. When we first started shipping, we had uh, packaging that had plastic in it. And it was just one piece. It was recyclable, but it was one piece. And it was to prevent water damage. And we shipped probably our first five or 10,000 units with it. And people reached out to us very, very politely, you know, and they said, hey, look, you know, I, we, we love what you're doing compared to cotton. We love what you're doing compared to, compared to polyester. But if you want to take it a step further, you should remove all the plastic from your packaging. I knew that. I mean, in my heart, I knew that. But I was worried about damage during transit. And I was just worried that people were going to open up their packages and there was going to be some maybe a water damage or there was going to be a scuff on it. And then you get a one-star review and then people read the one-star reviews and they don't buy. And then your company isn't able to grow. And if you don't grow, if your company is not successful, you can't help anyone. And so that was scary, but we basically took all the plastic out of the packaging and we explained it to people. We said, hey, look, here's what we're doing. So if you have any water damage or a scuff or the FedEx guy leaves it outside and, and, and you know, it gets damaged, don't, it's okay. Contact us. We'll replace it. Um, and we get a few complaints. Like we, <laughs> the more units you sell, the more people will just in terms of volume of people will come to you with a complaint. We've had, we, our comforters, no plastic not at all. We ship them in the box and we've shipped out like a thousand comforters since we launched them last month. And most people are just like obsessed with the comforter, but there's been two or three people who, you know, the, the post office left it outside on their front door. It rained. It soaked through the box. There's no vacuum sealing. There's no plastic. It costs more to ship because it's not vacuum packed. But we do that to save plastic. And we had people leave us bad reviews because of the post office leaving it outside and getting water damage. And they're like, you should put this in plastic. We've shipped now, I think, our last 30 or 40,000 units without any plastic. And we got it a few times and I said, you know what, let's just do it, see what happens. Overall, it's been fine. There's been no major issues. And so I think that that's going to be one of the changes as time goes on is just I think more people and more consumers need to reach out to companies in a good way. So I just love the way that people are consciously 
reaching out to companies and having them change their production habits because really it, it is the law of supply and demand. If people are asking for it and people are demanding it, then companies will change their processes and, and will change what they do. And if people don't ask it and don't demand it, then companies won't do it. It's just you know a function of the way the economy works. I, I think that over time, the betting industry will have to, and the home textiles industry in general, will have to move from cotton because the amount of water, like it's actually a twofold problem, right? As the world population increases, the more cotton you produce, the more water that you're using, extremely water intensive crop, but the more water is needed for the growing population. At some point, there's going to be a water shortage. It's already happening in some parts of the world. There's going to be certain things that are going to have to change with in terms of water consumption and insecticide and pesticide consumption. I mean, we're killing off a lot of necessary insects right now that are going to be very difficult for us to reckon with in the coming decades in terms of the mass extinction that we're causing in the insect population. Um, and then in terms of just microplastics in our water and everything that stems from creating polyester out of petroleum, I think polyester at last accounted for two thirds of all fabric consumed right now. It's completely overtaken cotton. And that's really, really scary because polyester is you know, pretty much a, a long-term death sentence for a lot of us. I'm hopeful that the betting industry as well as the fashion industry will change over time. Fast fashion is going to be the big one though that's going to have to change. Otherwise, not a lot's going to get done over time because that's such, such a huge consumer-driven industry. So that consumer behavior is going to be really crucial for that industry. Even here in Ukraine, I see that things are changing. The first ever service of uh, all clothes rental is about to open and in fact nice. the coronavirus was the, the necessary punch for this idea to come to life so previously it was only the service of rental of cocktail dresses and events and conventional right. clothes and now it's becoming the whole thing whole wardrobe things that you are wearing once in a lifetime you can donate and there is a system of remunerations for how many times people order it so the service is called Oh My Look and, you know, cool. It, it wouldn't have been born if not for coronavirus. Another thing you, you say, water and so on resources, just reminded me of, um, I don't remember, last year probably South African disappearing water and, you know, only because people started to be more conscious and they were hit so hard by the problem and by this challenge where every day you see like, you know, here is the clock. In less than a month, you will not have any water in the city. A couple of weeks ago, I discussed um, with the professional from the Climate Kick. I think it's only European Innovations and Technology Network. We discussed the challenges of the circular economy. And my question was the same, like, how do you expect the world to change in post-coronavirus crisis uh, time? Well, the answer is there is no other way to go around it. There is no way because there are no resources. We have to change it. We're seeing huge consumer changes in, in the United States too. I mean, the amount of people that are, for example, cooking instead of going out to restaurants and that are learning how to cook some people for the first time, or the amount of people that are questioning, why do I have to commute five days a week to my job? I'm working from home without issue right now. And so I think there's going to be like a lot of systemic changes from this. And if I can be completely frank and honest, I think one of the reasons why people are rushing to reopen is so that way these changes don't become entrenched. 
there's a lot of companies that need people to commute to their offices or that, you know, that would like their workers to be back in office. And, you know, I think that the concern for these businesses comes from a good place, more or less, to help keep the economy running and to alleviate that financial suffering. But I do think that the longer this goes on, you know, when this goes back to normal, people are going to have a lot of questions about why did we always do it that way? And I think that that's actually one of the coolest, not many cool things that come from a global pandemic, obviously. But I think that's one of the more interesting things that will come from this is the wide scale questioning of why have we always done this? And I don't think society gets a lot of opportunities to stop and ask that question. Globally, especially. Right. I also agree. And, you know, I'm on the side of this has already happened. The virus is already there. Obviously, it's not uh, the best thing that could happen to all of us on the planet Earth. But we are there. Let's search for positive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I think that that's one of the things that inspires me is how people across the world have come together. You know, I, the, the, the concern that people, that my team in India has for my team in Denver and the concern that we have for them and the concern that we have for our partners in Europe and our partners in Canada. I think there's been some tension, obviously, but, you know, I think people around the world have really come together for one another and around the United States as well, you know, people in different cities looking out for one another and I'm just really inspired by the way that people have responded to this from like a, a psychological perspective. I'm very impressed with people being able to stay indoors for the two months at this point. I don't know how much longer they've got in, in, in them before they start to lose their minds a little bit, but it's definitely, uh, you know, in Denver at 8 p.m., 8 o'clock every night, the whole city of Denver, which is like 2 million people or 3 million people, I think, in the surrounding area they howl. It's like a wolf. They go outside and they ha it's called Howl at the Moon. It's called healthcare workers. On our Instagram or on our uh, TikTok, I think that we have, or YouTube, we've got the couple videos of it where my team has captured it while they've been working at home. Um, and it's loud. It is, it's loud and it's fun. And all the dogs join in. The dogs will howl with the humans. It's really fun. It's like a little reminder that even though everybody is isolated right now, that, you know, we've all got, we're all connected. It's like a fun little thing. I know that some people who work night shift don't like it because they're trying to sleep before their, their work shift. I feel bad for them, but it is a nice little community builder. So that's cool. Right. Colin, one last question. Because yep. we are running to the end of our interview and I already took too much of your time. One piece of advice you would share with all of us and listeners of Sustainability Explored. It's weird when people ask me for advice because I feel like I've got a little bit of what, what's it called imposter syndrome where, you know, you're... We all suffer, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I was on a panel uh, for that last year. Being on a panel for imposter syndrome was funny because I didn't feel like I deserved to be on the panel. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I'm feeling a little emotional right now with everything going on. Beyond the sustainability piece and beyond the business piece, you know, people out there, I know there's a lot of folks listening that maybe are thinking about starting their own business or growing their own company. I think the number one thing I'd say is just don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't lose focus on the most important things for the little things. And I think that this whole uh, coronavirus situation has made a lot of people realize and refocus on what's most important in life, which is, you know, family and friends and the relationships that we have the goals that we have as people and, and why. And I think that a lot of people are asking themselves, like, why do I have these goals? Why do I work as hard as I do? Why do I put myself through this? 
These are some of the things that I've struggled with personally in the last few weeks. You know, my family's in Florida. Uh, I'm in Colorado, thousands of miles away from them. I miss them. I never get to see them. And it's got me questioning a lot of things about like why I do the things that I do. And that's why we've spent so much time and money on helping other people is because this has allowed me and the team to really lean into what's important to us, which is helping others. I just think that for everybody out there that is feeling something similar right now, I'd lean into it and I would ask yourself some really interesting questions right now, introspective questions about uh, why you do what you do and what would you change if you could put your life on pause for two months? Because I feel like that's what a lot of people are, are going through right now. It's going to be painful in the beginning, but the results are going to be worth it. I think so. Friends of mine have lost family to this. Uh, you know, one of my best friends was checked into the hospital uh, a couple weeks ago for it. Luckily, she's stabilized. There's a lot of recentering going on right now, I think, with people in terms of uh, what they find important and what they value. And so, you know, my advice is just to lean into that. Ask yourself the hard questions. I think that some people will really like some of the answers they get and other people won't. <laughs> and then you have to figure out why, why you don't like the answers and, and work on that. So. Right. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for this wonderful conversation and for your time. You got me really uh, inspired and philosophical. In a way. <laughs> Thanks. I had a lot of fun. A good way to start my day. So, Thanks so much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode about bedding industry and sheets and giggles in particular. Learned something new uh, from Colin or from our conversation with, with Colin today. If you have any questions whatsoever, do let me or Colin know. Please reach out to either of us on LinkedIn. Don't hesitate. We are both very open-minded and easy to reach. Um, if you like the podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing um, with someone who you think might be interested in the episode. Uh, you may also want to leave a review and, and, and some rating on a platform you're listening on. If you're on iTunes, you can rate there. If you're listening on any, any other platform, I really invite you to check uh, our Podchaser page. So you type podchaser.com, I think. Uh, you find Sustainability Explorer there. You can go through the... Um, um, reviews and ratings that we have already received from people all around the world and you can leave your comment there i reply each and everyone in person as i always say the podcast is for its listeners so by taking your time to leave a review you help more listeners more audience to discover it to to, to learn something new about sustainability every week by the way the first episode of sustainability explored podcast was released on May 30 last year uh, in 2019 and I am currently working on a bonus episode that I'm going to release like on, on Saturday so this week already if you have any specific question that you would like me to cover or you want me to to name you in the episode because you have something uh, specific to say any comment don't hesitate to hit me up again on LinkedIn connect, reach out and send me your questions simply in form of a private message or a comment. I created a special post about this uh, upcoming bonus episode. Um, the question can be on anything, sustainability, career path, podcasting, I don't know, monetization, really anything that bugs you. I'll be happy to answer them all. 
Uh, now I would like you to suggest you some probably related episodes out. For example, uh, the episode I did with John Tabis on sustainable flowers. That's called Sustainable Flower Industry with John Tabis. Uh, what else from the same category? Uh, sustainable fashion, uh, by the way, uh, Claudia Sherakovsky, who was my guest for that episode about sustainable fashion, has already mentioned this fiber, uh, eucalyptus fiber, lyocell in there. And recently we have uh, released a transcript of that episode. Uh, all the transcripts, we're, we're doing them as fast as we can in a chronological order. Uh, but somehow we're always 12 episodes behind, 12 transcripts behind. Nevertheless, uh, medium.com, that's a free blogging platform where I put all the transcripts. So same name, Sustainability Explored on medium.com. And you will find um, already a lot of texts um, connected to the episodes we have already released with active links so you may want to go and check maybe you didn't hear something well maybe the connection was bad i don't know um, maybe you want to go back to the books recommendations that i usually ask at the end of the episodes so that is all sitting on medium.com um, under the same name as this podcast sustainability export so, uh, sustainable flower industry with John Tabis, sustainable fashion with Claudia Sherakovsky. Mm, and uh, yeah, more episodes are coming out. Uh, be waiting <laughs> for the episode, uh, bonus episode on Saturday. So I'm going to release that one in two days. It was very lovely to have you all here today. I hope you were all well. Thank you very much for listening, for being with us today and always. And until next time, next Thursday, take care, stay tuned, stay healthy and stay home until the lockdown in your area is over. Don't forget to, to subscribe and leave a review. Ciao, ciao.